Welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay. I'm many things. The one I'm enjoying most is being mum to my daughter Ava. This podcast is about the common experience of motherhood. It is a contemporary archive of lives lived as mothers as well as being ourselves. I hope you may find connection and community in these shared stories. Thanks for coming on this journey with me and happy listening. This week I'm talking to Sarah Guanyuma and there's a lot in this week's episode. She opens up about ectopic pregnancy and the removal of her fallopian tube, her son who was born abdominally in a very supportive and respectful space, her twin loss, treatment for Ashman syndrome and her IVF journey. All of this as well as the sudden and unexpected passing of her husband Tim. Sarah wanted to share her story to begin shattering the silence and bringing together a community that can better support parents' experience of baby loss. Sarah shares her story with such open-heartedness and I hope you enjoy listening in. Hi Sarah, thanks for coming and joining me to record for the podcast. Hi, Take, thank you so much for having me. I, I feel like it's a privilege for me to be on your podcast. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for the last couple of months and I, I love, I love the space and energy and the women that you're bringing into your community. Uh, it feels safe, it so, feels so beautiful. And as a mother myself, like, I wanted to say thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my, um, my story to motherhood. Oh, well, it's my privilege and my pleasure. And you've got a lot to share. So we'll see how much we can fit in in today's episode. But I'm excited. I think before off air, we were talking about how you're in a positive space to share your story. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And so, Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and where you are? Because you're not in the UK at the moment. You're somewhere much sunnier. (laughs) Yes. Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, My name's Sarah. I'm originally from Uganda. I grew up in London, studied in London. I went to boarding school for pretty much all my primary and secondary years and then went off to Durham and SERAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies to study development. And I've basically been working in international development for 20 years until recently. I quit my job. COVID basically was that push for that. And so right now I live in Fiji. Uh, What brought me here was my late husband got a job. I met him. He's Australian. And I met him in London through some friends. And literally six weeks from meeting each other, he got offered this job in Fiji. And he's like, do you want to come? I was like, why not? And then suddenly we're, we're, we're living, you know, we're living in Fiji. So he was working for, he also was working in international development. And so we've been here for 10 years now. Well, I have, yeah, we've been here for 10 years in Fiji and it's lovely. As you can imagine, a beautiful paradise setting, not without its problems, but it's, it's, it's lovely. It's really, really beautiful. Like I said, I have been working in international development for 20 years. I recently quit my job and are basically now focusing on creative projects. And one of those is basically books. Books have always been my passion. I'm an avid reader and I'm now sort of doing various projects. Like I've got a page on Instagram at what Sarah read next, where I basically read books and I review them. Um, I've got a monthly podcast called Shelf Absorbed with a friend of mine called Ben, where we talk about books and films that we love around sort of thematic areas. I've also started a book swap here 
um, off the back of someone, like really lovely lady called Millie, sort of started it in London during the lockdown. And I was like, that's a good idea. So I started it here. Um, and then there's various other little creative projects on the side that are sort of kicking off, which I love. I've never been happier. So as much as this year has been hard for a lot of people in terms of COVID, I've actually found this last little chapter amazing. Yeah, well, it's nice to hear that it hasn't been, I don't know, heavy for everybody or out of that has come good things. But Sarah, how about we dive in or dive back in time to talk about your first pregnancy? Yeah, well, so I was, so yeah, mid-twenties, living in London, in Camden, young, free and literally, you know, like disposable income per se. And I was, I was seeing someone, it was kind of like, you know, one of those on off kind of relationships, kind of sounds like normal people style. And it was, I remember it was like an Easter weekend and I was meant to be going away with some friends. And then the night before we'd been at the pub and I ended up staying at a friend's house overnight. And when I woke up, I was like, I, I went to sleep on his like white chase long and I woke up and there was literally blood everywhere. And I was like horrified, as you can imagine. I was thinking, God, that's a bit weird. My period wow i mean like, i imagine i remember having my period a while back but what this is really heavy anyway so um i basically hot trotted it back i wanted to hot trot it back home so i got on the tube to get back to camden and all i remember take is basically waking up in my bed and there's this random guy standing at the foot of my bed and i start screaming because i'm like who are you who are you and he's like listen calm down you were on the tube and you passed out. And I basically got your address through, you know, your, you know, your belongings. And I brought you home. And I was like, what? So kind of, just, I was so confused anyway. So basically I was like, well, I need to get to a hospital. So I rang my girlfriend, Charlie, who lived up the road in Christmas Hill. I was like, Charlie, there's a situation where I'm like, I'm bleeding profusely. I don't know what's going on. And um, can you come round? So we basically, she picked me up and we went up to the Royal Free in Hampstead. And... You know, the nurses on, you know, the nurses A&E, they were like, took us up to the scan kind of area to basically figure out what was going on. And at that point, I'm cramping hard and I'm just bleeding, bleeding, bleeding. That's all I remember. So then I'm in this like waiting room with all these pregnant women. And I, at that point, I was still kind of like, oh, what's going on? Anyway, I, at that point, I was just like, really kind of like, oh, anyway. So then I go in and they do a scan they're still like really like confused about what's going on. And then they make me do a urine test. So we did the urine test and then I had to go out, wait some time. And still at this point, it's like, oh, not sure what's going on. Cut long story short, a doctor comes out. He's like, um, can you come into the room? So I do, Charlie comes in with me and he's like, who's your next of kin? I was like, um, my mum. He's like, you need to call her now because basically I think we think that you're pregnant. We think it's an ectopic pregnancy and we basically need to operate ASAP because if we don't operate now, you are going to die. Can you actually imagine that? So in that one sentence, it's like you're pregnant. You, you, you might just die if we do not operate like right now. And so there's all this rush of emotions of like, what? and all I could think back was, was like, what? What, that casual sex has just brought me to this near fatal kind of situation. Anyway, so suddenly I'm all sort of like in, in my robes and there's like doctors and nurses all kind of like fussing all around me. And then I remember there's this nurse and she's got this form out. She's making me sign all these forms. And she's like, what would you like to do 
with the fetus? Do you want it cremated? Do you want to take it home? I mean, there's just this rush of information and I'm so confused and I'm like, I'm crying, but there's no time to even literally think about it because suddenly you're in theatre. I come to, I wake up, and then the guy that I'm seeing is at the end of my bed with my, with my late brother and he's crying and I'm just so confused, but I'm also really high on morphine. So I don't really have time to really process it really until actually I, I leave the hospital. And so it's crazy because obviously I, I always wanted kids, right? And then suddenly you've got this, you're in a situation where you've got this ectopic pregnancy. My left tube is removed because it's been ruptured. I don't even know what ectopic pregnancy is. And you're like, wow. So my chances of having a baby have literally just been halved just like that. So that was my first experience of pregnancy. Pretty rough. Pretty rough. Well, especially like just to have no idea. Usually, you know, you get to take the test and then have a moment to sit and think with it. But that wasn't the case for you. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And, you know, for me, it was like this rush of sort of information. It's just coming through from you're pregnant. It's not working. You might die. What do you want to do? Your fetus, cremation, this. It's just a rush. And so it took me a while to obviously process that. Because, you know, with pregnancies, you know, you've got the pregnancy hormones, et cetera, that come in with all that. And, you know, I'm not with this guy, right? And so they were in this situation. It's like, oh, gosh, that's a bit, that's kind of all kind of crazy. And, yeah, so suddenly, like, I wanted kids. But suddenly this, it's the situation where, wow, my chances of having a child have just been halved. Whoa. So, yeah, it took me a while to sort of get over that. But, you know, not long after that, I reckon a couple of months after I met my husband, my late husband, Tim, um, at a house party through some mutual friends. And then, as I was saying, met him six weeks later. He's just been offered a job in Fiji and then asked me to move with him. And I'm like, yeah. And then off we go. And it was, yeah, it was beautiful. It felt right. It was fantastic. We got married here. And literally the day of my, um, my wedding, I, I'll never forget it, on stage, on the mic, I'm like, thank you all for coming. FYI, tomorrow, we are going to start making babies. <laughs> so it was definitely on the agenda. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's on, it's on. And, it, you know, it, it, I mean, we, we did wait. We had, like, honeymoon and all that. And conceiving Zizzy, actually, considering the fact that I had one tube, was really easy. Because I was, you know, I was, you've got that at the back of your mind, right? You're like, I've got one tube, like, my chances are halved. But it was... Conceiving Zizi was really easy and it was a really lovely, beautiful pregnancy, as you can imagine. You know, as any mother knows or woman, you, pregnancy, like, you know, you pee on that stick and that blue line appears and you're like, ah! and then you can start imagining what your baby's going to look like, where they're going to go to school, the buggy that you're going to get, everything, right? You, I mean, you know, right? You, you're a mum. Well, it's from, for me, it was from the moment of that test saying yes. Yeah. That was when I became a mum in that moment. Exactly. Whereas I think for my partner, and I know talking to others as well, for my partner, his moment of realising he was going to be a dad was much later. Probably at the birth. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I, I mean, it takes guys a, a bit longer to sort of get on board, right? For us, it's like, we want the baby. And then as soon as that, you know, because for us, it's like, you know, we're feeling it, right? We, the baby's in our tummy. And for guys, it took my, my late husband, for example, a while to really get on board. And I really feel kind of, it was actually the birth of our son, Isaiah, where you really saw him. It was, 
it's the happiest I've ever seen him. There's this picture, um, which I'd love to share at some point, whatever, where it's, you know, he's all scrubbed up because I ended up having a cesarean because Isaiah was breached. But it's the happiest I've ever seen my late husband. It's a smile that just, it's all love. There's mm-hmm. this, the, the, it, it needs no caption. It's, it's all love. And I think that's when men are like, wow, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. Right? No, I've I'm a dad. Um, yeah, I'm a dad. And so, Sarah, to take us back, you said you had a really yeah. good pregnancy, but then as I was breached, so did you yeah. have a bit of a conversation around the delivery you were going to have as a result of that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, as you know, I mean, I did everything by the book, you know, like, um, actually, yeah, I did everything by the book. And then it came to like, I think it was 35 weeks and we went for a scan and my odd guy was like, oh, he's not quite turned. So let's just keep let's just keep watching this one so I was like oh, okay at this point I'm not I'm not scared because it's like my obgyne was amazing and but then I did start doing you know you just start doing like acupuncture and I remember like going on like mum's neck and they were like okay if you like basically spend half the day upside down <laughs> the baby might turn I was doing all this crazy stuff but literally at like 37 weeks um, my obgyne was like you know we, we might need to start considering a c-section but you know I was always when it came to sort of like delivery, as long as my baby's safe and I'm safe, I will do whatever it takes to deliver that baby. And it was the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, cesarean. So, so here in Fiji, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful culture where prayer is, is paramount, right? It's just lovely. So I remember like the day that we, we, we went in, Tim was in his scrubs. Um, I was in my scrubs looking really huge. But then we went in there and then the, and then the team um, that were going to obviously deliver um, my son Isaiah, there was, there was, they, they pray. They pray before they start the C-section. And there's like prayer music at the back. It's possibly one of the most amazing experiences one can ever, ever experience. You know, like I remember thinking, whatever happens in this room, my son is going to be born in this beautiful space and everything is going to be okay. It sounds and it like was. they really do create that space to honour it as a birth, whereas I think Absolutely. a lot of people I've talked to, it hasn't been that way for everybody. I think that's yeah. so lovely. That, and especially, I mean, years ago. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah, it was fun. And like, you know, like I said, like, you know, I was a bit upset because I was like, oh, I mean, I wasn't devastated that it was going to be a C-section. My priority was for my son to be born safe, alive and I was like whatever I said to my old guy whatever it takes for that to happen I will do it and so and that's what happened and it was beautiful and then how was the first first bits of motherhood for you your initial weeks your postpartum was that a positive experience as well yeah it was I mean it's all a bit of a blur really isn't it but I remember (laughs) there's just this it's just this I mean how how to describe it it's we all know like the feeling of like this insane love. And like, I remember like just looking at him all the time or like, you know, getting up to feed and you're looking at this beautiful being that you've created, right? You're like, wow, we, we made it. We, we made this beautiful child. Like, and tears are just like streaming down my, my eyes. So my mum flew out from London to Fiji for three months, much to my um, late husband's joy, not. Um, she basically like saved our lives because she just cooked. She did everything. She just cooked. Mm. She basically kept us all in check. 
But it's the breastfeeding. I remember being a little bit kind of, but one, yeah, I remember like breastfeeding at first, kind of like, oh, how's this all kind of going? And also, my mom's African, right? She's Ugandan. She's feeding me all these like potions and lotions, and I think it was like goats, liver. I mean, it sounds awful, and it was awful. But I tell you what, the breast milk was coming out like. I imagine you know, packing full of iron and all the like the good oh, yeah. I mean I'm vegetarian so I couldn't Oh are you so that, oh, but, um, this, yeah you're I vegetarian think, this yeah. conversation is probably really awful I'm so sorry No it doesn't bother <laughs> me but, but it's so nice too to have your mum there just for the experience of It was beautiful Yeah I think especially when you live away from home Absolutely Yeah you never get that time back and especially ever I don't know, there's something about your mother and now you've become a mother. There's that nice... Yeah. Isn't there? It was beautiful. And, you know, like, so the day I, the day as I arrived, she literally just got off the plane. So I remember, like, you know, you're high on morphine. I mean, from basically your breasts down, I mean, you can't move and it's just, it's just a battlefield, as you imagine. And, but then she, I remember she arrived in and she's like, my grandson! Yeah. She, like, grabbed Isaiah and basically just held him and she was just... Her, and like you said, the bond of you, you your mum, and she's like, my daughter has given birth. Mm. It's huge. And like, my mum's, you know, she's, she's had a fair few kids, you know, and it's, it's beautiful. And like you said, like I'm, you know, my, my family and friends are in London and for her to make that journey and commit to three months here was, it was magical. And I would, I loved it. I loved it. My husband, less so, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's something about that. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's time for you at that point. <laughs> it's all about me. Yeah. And, and then, my baby. Yeah. And your baby, you and your baby, your new experience yeah. together. It's beautiful. So, yes, yeah, so when you're going back to your question about how did I all find that, I, I loved it. I loved the breastfeeding, the bonding, and, and, the, and you know, the, change, the little changes that you see. Like, so I've, you know, going back a little bit, so like the day I, I tested positive on my pregnancy test, I, I stayed up pretty much all night listening to Bonnie Iver, the, mm. the artist. God, um, I haven't his listened album, to that Emma. album in a while. <laughs> How amazing is that album? Yeah. And I listened to it holding my tummy and I just, it was just pure love. It was like, mm. wow. And actually just before talking to you just now, I just went um, next door to say to Isaiah, by the way, don't disturb me for the next hour because I'm going to be on a podcast. But FYI, um, I love you, and this is amazing. And this is the, I played him the song that I I listened to when I found out I'd conceived him. So oh. yeah. Oh, that's so nice. That's something that will be with you forever. <laughs> the two of you. Forever, forever, forever. Yeah, for sure. And then how how did it come about for your next pregnancy? Was it something that you'd sort of decided on with Tim, loving motherhood as much as you did? Let's have another. Yeah, so I basically was like, okay, when when Isaiah hit the two and a half, two and a half years in, and at this point we'd moved from Fiji to Samoa because my husband, my late husband, had got a UN position, so we got we got moved to Samoa, and I was like, right, it's time. I think we need to start thinking about having another baby. And then again with the one tube, bam, we conceived really, really quickly. And then I was, yeah, I was like gobsmacked, you know, because again. Going back to the ectopic, I just always thought that I'd have a hard time conceiving. Mm. So then at six weeks, I went to the sonographer and just, just give a bit of context. The health facilities in Samoa are pretty dire. So I went along to the sonographer to get, you know, the, the positive, like, yeah, I've peed on the stick and now I want to see the heartbeat. And he's on the screen that looks like a really old Microsoft 
computer thing. It's just crap. And so then he's looking around, looking around. Mummy's like, are you sure you're pregnant? I was like, well, yeah, I, what? yeah, I am. It's like, well, because I can't see anything on the screen. And I was like, and as a mother, you can imagine. And I'm like, well, yes, because I, I am pregnant. Oh, well, there's nothing here. Come back in a week. Um, uh, okay. So I went back in a, a week later and I took, my, I took Tim along, my late husband, because, you know, for backup, because I was like, oh, this is really scary. He's doubting my pregnancy. So he went along with me and lo and behold, on the screen, there was not just one heartbeat. There were two. <laughs> two heartbeats. And I remember, like, the late Tim literally went great. If he could have fainted, he was going to faint. And it was like, we are pregnant with twins. With one tube, we are pregnant with twins. Oh, my God. There was shock. But inside, I'm... Yeah. Right? (laughs) And I'm screaming inside because twins! All natural. It was like, Susie Take, I was like, wow, this is... This is... What is going on? My husband literally... um, I drove him back to the office because it was his lunch hour. (laughs) And he didn't speak... Because for him, men just think money, money, money. Oh, he's done. He's like, how are we going to be flying back for holidays? How are we going to fly to England? He's just thinking money. Ching, 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 ching. Where I'm like, double buggy, (laughs) double trouble, amazing mess. It's going to be girl boy. I was like elated, elated. Oh, oh, Mm. yeah, (laughs) elated. And so then I went back, but I pregnant with twins, as you can imagine, the news is like, wow. And then, um, but of course, it's not 12 weeks. And so as women, we're told, don't tell anyone for 12 weeks. But I did tell my mum and she's screaming down the phone, as you can imagine. So then fast forward, I went for the, I think it was a 10 or 11 week scan. And then back to the sonographer with the really backward Microsoft scan machine. And very matter of fact, no bedside manner. He's like, well, one's gone and the other one's still alive. I was like, so what did you just say? Yeah, well, look. And he's like pointing at the thing. It's like, the sack's collapsed for this one, but the other one's going. You need to come back in a week just to see that the other one's still going. Oh, wow. And Sarah, had you had any indication, like, had you felt in that pregnancy? It all had felt really well. I guess it's hard at that point in time. I know for me, my only pregnancy I didn't feel very well anyway so maybe it's hard to know but it wasn't on the cards at all that you had thought in your mind this could happen well I have to say it was it was a difficult pregnancy in that I was cramping a lot and there was I was I was spotting so I'd never heard of this word spotting that's where that's where mum's neck comes in because you start trawling you start you know as women the slightest twinge or that switch you're like, what's this, mum's net? And then I'm like, oh, spotting, what's that about? But then I was reassured that apparently when you're pregnant with twins, it's more common to be spotting because you've, it's, it's just more common, basically. But I remember feeling really ill. But again, there's like double the hormones, all that stuff. So I, de- I never, never doubted that anything was wrong yeah. until we went for that scan. And I was devastated, as you can imagine. But then I was also clinging on to the fact that there's, there's still one, Sarah. One's gone, but there's still one. But whatever happens, you're still grieving that other one that you've lost. Because mm. in your mind for those all weeks, you're like, you're thinking about the double buggy. You're thinking about the double trouble. You're thinking, you're that, as women, we do that. We do it. Well, and so you that your, your baby's lost its sibling as well. And... It's lost, exactly. Yeah. So devastating. I remember like with my late husband, he's like, Sarah, it's fine. There's still one. But I'm like, inside, I'm like, but you don't get it. I wanted the two. 
I, I, I wanted the two. Yeah. So then we went back the week later and sadly the, yeah, the second twin had died. And my husband was away at the time. So I'm in the car park of this, outside this medical center, crying, crying my eyes out, calling him. And the thing is, because he had such a busy job, he was literally on his way to a massive meeting. And he's like, I can come back. And I was like, no, just no, go do that. I, I can manage things here. As you know, as women, we do. I can manage it. I can manage it. Apparently, I can go to the hospital. They're going to take me, give me some pills that I can take. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until you come back. And then I'll take them. And then we'll go from there. But I was devastated. And again, I hadn't told many people about the twin pregnancy apart from my mum because you're told not to tell anyone. So there I go home. And, but, you know, you're clinging on to the fact that you've got Isaiah, but your twins, the twins that you've been carrying for 12 weeks, this imagery, this life that you started to picture has gone, has gone. So Tim comes back and um, they obviously administered, administered these pills. And so we were, you know, and they sort of brief you about, you know, once you take them, get ready because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. So basically clear out a weekend where you're not going to go anywhere, have um, sanitary towels. It's, it's just going to be, it's going to be a horror show. So that's what we did. Um, so I took the first pill, nothing. Second pill, nothing. Oh. So then in the end, I actually ended up going back to the hospital and I, I had to have a DNC. So the morning I go for the DNC, I get admitted to the ward with brand new mums. Mums have just had their babies. So I walk in with my tummy that's already sort of flattening out with these mums that have just had their babies and inside of me are my babies that have died. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you're like, wow, can this get any worse? Could it actually get any worse? Yeah. And, I, and after that, like a, I, I mean, I've never been diagnosed officially depressed, but I really feel after that with the twins, I really... I fell into a really dark, dark, dark space. Nothing made me happy. I just, I was really, really, and you know what? I'm going on, you know, you're trawling online, trying to find out answers. Why was it me? Did I eat something? Was it the cheese? Was it this? Was it that? But it, you just, there's no answers. So then, and then also naturally I was like, okay, well, this has happened. The only way out of this is that we're going to conceive. We're going we're gonna to get pregnant again. So then we, we basically started trying. But the thing is, I had to wait for my period to come along, right? Yeah. But my first period after that was really, really weird. So kind of like clumpy, really kind of short. It was just not right. And I remember thinking, there's something not quite right about this. And I remember talking to my, husband, my late husband about it. It's like, Sarah, it's fine. La, 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 la. I was like, no. As a woman, you know your cycle and you know how things run, right? So I go back to trawling, what is going on? And then I sort of find this, this Asherman syndrome. It's like description of, oh, well, that sounds like what my periods are like. So lo and behold, and as the universe sort of brings this stuff for us, my girlfriend, so yes, Asherman syndrome is basically scarring of the uterus is what I eventually found out. So if you have a DNC, what people don't tell you is there is a small chance that there will be scarring of the uterus, which means if you do conceive, the fertilized embryo will not be able to attach because your uterine lining is damaged. They don't tell you that explicitly. So then suddenly I'm like, well, maybe I have that. Now with the Asherman syndrome, there's only a very few people in the world that can actually sort that out. And the one guy that near me was a Professor V in Sydney. Lo and behold, my best girlfriend was getting married a couple of months after I'm 
basically self-diagnosing myself. And so lo and behold, bless Amanda, on her way to her wedding, I was like, can we do a pit stop? I really need to see, I need to go and see this, this Professor V. And we did, and we did this initial consultation. He's like, you know, the only way we can really find out, it sounds like you might have Asherman's. We need to go in there and have a hysteroscopy. So I did. I had two of those. And then after the second one, I'm thinking, yes, finally cured. This is, this is it. This is the moment. Now we, he's, he's, he's fixed it. It's beautiful. And I remember like waking up after the second hysteroscopy and he's holding my hand. And I remember thinking, that's a bit odd. But he has a lovely bedside manner, by the way. And he's like, Sarah, your womb looks beautiful in his like beautiful Belgian accent. But the remaining tube is not working very well. What? The remaining tube is, is it's not working. The only way you now can conceive is IVF. And sorry, Sarah, just to clarify, so you'd gone in and got diagnosed with the Atomans and then you had the hysteroscopy to fix Some, it and to soften To fix the, the lining. lining. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And that, there's, there's very few people that can do that. And so it sounds like as well, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but after perhaps after the um, the loss of the twins, you might have been in a bit of a state of shock and depression. And then Absolutely. you've got this in your mind, we're going to have another baby and you go through this process and you're flying to Australia to fix your uterus and you're like, this is going yeah. to be it. And now yeah. you have to go through IVF. Now we are on to a whole new level of conceiving a child. IVF was never, ever on my radar. I had friends that maybe had had, I didn't have, I knew of people having IVF, but not like personal friends. So now we're now going to IVF territory. And it was just blew my mind off. And of course, my late husband was not on board initially because it meant we had to relocate from Samoa to, to Melbourne. We, we, we just had to change up our lives, right? Mm. And that's really, it's just, and then also just think now like, injections i hate injections there's injections there's it's really quite an invasive it's a lot to process. sign up to and it's really it's a lot to sign up to and it's very expensive and it's very taxing so you've gone from like wow that everything i've gone through to now starting a whole new journey to motherhood are we are we on can we do this mm. let's go yeah and so it sounds like you made the decision as a family that this is going to be the next step and so you yeah and it wasn't an easy yeah exactly and it wasn't an easy decision there was a lot of discussions and hurt and crying and a lot of it like my husband my late husband we didn't want to be separated as a family I mean it's a big ask and also for me it's very taxing it's like suddenly like more invasive sort of because I didn't know you've got to be put under I hate being put under the general anesthetic you've got to do that twice when they with the eggs taking out and then put back in you're like and then the injections but I got over that quite quickly so, yeah, so we, we started the journey of IVF and we got five really good embryos, which was really, really lucky. We did, I did four rounds. So out of the five, we did four rounds back to back, all failed, sadly. And that's a, that's a whole new journey because, you, you know, you're sold with, with IVF, you're sold like four good, really embryos. It's going to work. It's going to work. But they, but they didn't. I did everything. The diet, the acupuncture, the everything you, everything you can name of, you just do it, right? Mm. and four embryos down you've got one going and they've all failed so for the final one I was like okay we're gonna it's coming up to Christmas all our families were kind of convening in Fiji and it was a case of right I'm gonna time this so that our flight to Melbourne for a bit I had work planned but also do that one last embryo 
And what's going to be beautiful is like, imagine I do it. And then two weeks later, around Christmas, it's a positive. Because you know what? After everything we've been through, the universe is just going to give back, right? And Sarah, sorry to clarify. So you'd been yeah. through the one process of collecting the eggs and you had yeah. five embryos as a result of that. And so you yeah. had four of them implanted, but they didn't take. Is that right? They didn't take. Yeah. Correct. They so did we're not up take. To the last one here. The last one. The last, this is the last one. This is the last one we're riding on. It's Christmas. It's got to work. The universe is going to bring it back. It's going to bring it back. So I was in Melbourne two weeks before Christmas. And I was staying with my late husband's family, his parents. And then I, I remember like it was two days before transferring. And then I'd gone to a yoga class and I'd said to the teacher at the beginning of the class, like, you know what, I'm, I'm transferring our last embryo. Is that if there's anything uh, in this class that I can do extra special, like meditate, like, just let me know about it, please. This is, this is the one that she's like, yes. And she was beautiful. I remember she, she would come up to me and, it was, it was lovely. And so went to that class. But I remember like feeling kind of funny coming out of it. Just, I don't know. I, usually I'm like, I'm really in the zone with it. So I came out of that yoga class and then I went to my car, switched on my phone and there was all these messages from home. So bearing just a bit of context, my husband my, and my son Isaiah and my mum who'd flown over for London for Christmas are all in Fiji and I'm in Melbourne. So a bit of context. And I, I, and I looked at my phone and there was all these missed calls and messages in, from Fiji and friends from various, it's like, call home, call home. And um, I, I called my friend, and after a bit of digging, uh, the news was basically my husband had had a heart attack and he had died. Mm. Oh, Sarah, like, there's nothing to be said, is there? My God. And it's like, that's just not at all where your mind was. You're in the yoga class getting ready for your last embryo transplant. The last embryo. Yeah. The last embryo, and then Tim died. Yeah. And so I, and the thing is, I mean, there's so much, there's so much we can say on that, but it's, it's that's a whole new other podcast, but mm. it was like, and that happened and he's died. And so suddenly your focus is on that and getting back home to my son and dealing with all that. And I remember like, I'm at the airport in Brisbane the next day with his sister, my, yeah, his sister. And it's like, final call flight FJ to Nandi. Da, la, 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 la. And then it was suddenly I was like, because oh, obviously my mind is just consumed of just getting back to Isaiah. And then I remembered, oh, the embryo. Oh, it's tomorrow. They're going to start, they're going to start defrosting it. I've got to call the clinic. So then like we're rushing to the plane and then I'm calling the IVF doctor. And I'm like, I'm, and I'm very matter of fact, because I'm in shock, but also just like, don't, I, I, my exact words are do not defrost the embryo. Tim is dead. He's died. Do not defrost the embryo and there's silence on the other end and then she bursts into tears and she's like I love you Sarah I'm so sorry and then she hung up because I mean what do you say mm. what actually do you say yeah what do you say to that oh and so then I guess yeah you had to make the trip home to be with your son yeah and yeah, yeah I mean your whole world had changed your whole life as a family had changed it's changed there's like the, having a baby is no longer a priority. Yeah. Being a mum to Isaiah is my number one priority. Getting through a funeral and everything that comes with death. Bearing in mind my, my brother had died at Easter that year. And then so, yeah, your whole priority changes. It's like, I don't want a baby because I need to be there for Isaiah 100%. Mm. And it's, it's brutal. It's, it's, it's so brutal. 
and it's it's a whole new podcast, Take, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's I... a whole new time. It's a lot to digest in this one. But I guess with my key messages and reason why I want to share this story is that, and then there is a lot here is that I found that like when I first had an ectopic pregnancy, when I start talking to people, everyone's had a miscarriage, but no one's told you about it, and I was shocked. It's the shock of like, what? You had one. You had one. But why are we not talking about it? This is so strange. And I guess like, like what I want to bring out of this podcast, obviously this, my, my story is a lot and it's, people are going to have to digest this a bit. But like, I really want us as women to start to coming together and like talking about miscarriage and baby loss. Our strength as women is about talking and sharing. That's our strong point. We love each other. When we, when we break up with awful guys or whatever, we, we rally around with ice cream, box set of friends, tissues, we laugh. We, we, we do that. We, we all rally around. And why do we do that about miscarriage? Like, it's just like, it's, 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 it's possibly like the loneliest grief you could possibly go through ever. And I, fi- I found that so much. And there's so much to it in terms of like, there's, there's guttural, irrational jealousy that comes with it, right? Like, you're pregnant, you're not pregnant. And then suddenly there's babies everywhere. The TV, the radio, celebrities, suddenly friends that were not even planning to have babies, they're having a baby, guess what? And you're like, oh. and I just want us, you know, like the red tent. I mm. want us as women to start to kind of come together and share more about baby loss because that is where our strength comes from. By sharing our stories, we really can help each other, Takie. Well, I think even just for it to become more of a common language, because I think maybe one of the things people feel is that they don't know what to say. And there's probably lots of things not to say and probably lots of things to say. Like, I don't think there's one right way. But I think it's about creating the space where people can feel comfortable. Absolutely. about, About their experience, isn't it? And it is a part of motherhood. It's all part of motherhood, um, Taki. And I look, you know, I speak to countless of friends, not just friends, and you look at these forums and books. And, you know, and then you've said it, you've, you've had women contact you wanting more stories about baby loss. Because mm. you know what? Miscarriage is way more common. And so many women have them. It's, and that's the thing. People don't, you don't hear about how common it is until it actually happens to you, right? Well, and yeah, you're right. You know, it's just a statistic, isn't it? It's it, yeah. like, is it one in four? It's one in four. And you sort of think, oh, yeah, one in four. But I, it hasn't happened to me. And it's interesting, yeah. too, doing this work and being exposed to not the statistics, but the stories of it has increased yeah. my awareness of just the loneliness. And I think we touched it's on so about how for your partner, for a lot of partners, it's later that they feel that they've become a parent. Whereas for yeah. you in that moment of realising you're pregnant, for you yeah. and I both, at least, that was our moment when we were like, we're a mother. Yeah. And it's changed that you physically, the the hormones, your body, that you your feel boobs. it. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's just sort of, it's a real thing that happens when you find out you're pregnant. All of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. this, this is here. And then from yeah. being taken away. And yeah, just the loneliness. And I think- It's so lonely. To you. And you know, so when like, yeah, so like when my brother and my husband died, for example, I had literally people, literally, well, in London, like, you know, for my mum, for example, people like literally, that's what you gather, you gather, you people around you for months. And even here in Fiji, like culturally, when someone dies, people are living in your house for months, right? Mm. 
because it's a loss like whatever like whatever stage of your pregnancy six weeks four weeks that is a baby and that is a loss and that is grief and we need to honor that you know and I also feel like we as women we uh we shouldn't rely on our our partners to be that crutch and the emotional outlet for us to rely on because they are grieving too but differently right mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is exactly it. And I do think yeah. also it's important to have the space for people, however they feel about it, because maybe for some people at six weeks, it doesn't feel like a baby to them and they have their choices yeah. and options as well. But for those yeah. who it does, there should be options there too. I know I, I did an episode earlier this year with Zainab and she lost her baby at 23 weeks and she had to deliver her baby um she had to give birth to her baby but her baby was recognized as a miscarriage and not a stillborn and I just think there needs to be space for those who want to recognize it as their child um absolutely whatever stage absolutely Um, and I think it's just about it's no one's business to judge. It's no, it's absolutely our business not. to create safe space for all experiences. Absolutely. And I think as women, we can create those kind of safe spaces. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really feel like, I feel like we should start, you know, let's turn our hurt and grief into something that's like hopeful. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And like, I feel like as women, you know, we're, we're powerful as, 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 as a unit, as a community. And like, once we start, I mean, there's no telling where any of that kind of go. You know, I want us to like rally around more and create those kind of safe spaces. And also one thing I would want to point out is that when you are grieving and you've lost, there should be zero expectation for you to go to baby showers or christenings or to a kid's party. Because you know what? You don't need to do that. Why would you put yourself through that? Protect yourself and your mental health. If, if she's a real friend and she honors you and loves you, she will understand you reach out and you're like, you know what, this has happened. Or like, I'm not ready to do that. Because you don't. Like, we're, so many of my friends, they do, they, they'll just go to this baby shower having just miscarried, like, the day before. I'm like, why would you do that? It's not okay. And because and, you put yourself in more torture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, I, I just, no. And, and, and we are. We, put the, we have to put those boundaries up and feel okay to be like, I'm sorry, I am not ready for a christening. I'm sorry, I am not ready for some baby shower. I think just in motherhood in general, isn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> we're not yeah. necessarily that good at putting up boundaries to protect ourselves. We're um, really not. Yeah. We, hide, we, we, hide, we hide behind like mum's net and like baby centre. But I think we need to start fronting more. And like, you know, I, Elizabeth Day, for example, I was really like, I loved her article recently. Um, I think it was in The Guardian where she shared how, you know, she miscarried during COVID. And I was like, yes. But she also talked about how she got a bit trolled um, by a few people. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe you're actually, why would you be sharing something so personal? But why not? Because by sharing, you're, also, you're creating a space where someone who's gone through the similar thing can be like, wow, yes, there's empathy in that. Do you know what I mean? Well, community, isn't it? I think and community, absolutely. Yeah, community. 100%. Take and that's my, that's my drive behind wanting to talk, share my story, which is deep, and painful but out of it I really feel like I want something beautiful to come out of our discussion today like anyone that's listening to this podcast I want them to kind of feel that let's I I want people let's start talking ladies it's 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 about time it's not a dirty secret get that pink elephant out of the room 
and let's start chatting. Red tent. That's, that's the analogy that I put for everything in terms of women. We have to, we need to galvanize and come together more and share. That is how, that is our strength. And that is where we, things will get better. It, it really, really will. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that's it. It's only through sharing that things are going to change. Um, Absolutely. It's okay. Yeah. Do you feel that? I feel that. Oh, definitely. I think it's probably yeah the big driver behind making this podcast is sharing stories so that you can connect with women who have been through the same experience and also have a better understanding of experiences you haven't been through we are all in this together it's so common there's nothing you could have done to prevent it it may happen again it may not you might end up having children you may not but just know that you've done nothing to make that baby not happen right yeah. and that's that's my i guess that's my sort of closing sort of remark on that it's not you at all sarah thank you so much for sharing your story today there's a lot i mean yeah from ectopic yeah. pregnancy to twin loss and then losing your husband tim there's a lot yeah. there yeah. But no no absolutely sharing uh take i can i just say thank you so much for giving me this platform you know it's a it's a deep it's a deep story um, and I just want to say thank you so much. And it, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be on this platform. And thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And I will put links and bits on your episode page for people to find you and all of your current and future projects. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing with us today, Sarah. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come connect with me on Instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together. I'd love to hear from you. And please do share, subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience. I'd love if you could. Until next week. Bye.